by the power of the Holy Spirit working through word and sacrament. Then we hunger and thirst for the righteousness of God. My friends, it's just that simple. It's in the divine service that he's there for you, that he delivers the forgiveness. That's where he promises forgiveness will be. Uh, And so that's why it's so important uh, to be in church. We long that God would answer the prayer when we pray, deliver us from evil. Get me out of here. Get me out of this sin-filled world. That is Jesus Christ uh, who says, do not count their sin against them for my blood has paid the price for that. Now on 95.7 FM, it's Proclaiming the One with Pastor Clint Poppy and Pastor Adam Moline from Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Lincoln, Nebraska. Welcome once again to Proclaiming the One. Uh, I always get a kick out of that intro. It's uh, it's like Jim was was on steroids the day that he put that thing together. So um, it is uh, always a privilege and an honor to be here. We do this every week. The You've got that look on your face, Pastor. Help you're, me out. You're an artist. You're drawing flies. There's one circling over here. I don't know. Uh, I just, I am not going to speak to that. I am not going to be distracted by that. The um, Each week, it's a privilege to gather together. We look at the readings for the upcoming Sunday in the church year. We are proclaiming the one and only Savior from sin, Jesus Christ, crucified and risen for you. We do this in the one-year series of readings, and the one-year series of readings are are really pretty unique during this season of Easter. It's really kind of hard, you know, we're gearing up for summer vacations. By the time you hear this program, it, uh, Memorial Day is just going to be right around the corner. And, you know, the season of Easter, that was six weeks ago. How in the world can we still be thinking about Easter at this point in time? Well, Easter is a season. And sometimes it's hard for us to keep in mind that season of Easter. But this is what uh, Pastor Moline and Vicar Bader and I are going to try to do today as we look at the readings for the sixth Sunday of Easter. Vicar, you want to share the introit? It is a portion of Psalm 66 with the bracket or the antiphon coming from Isaiah 48. With a voice of singing, declare this with a shout of joy to the end of the earth. Alleluia. The Lord has redeemed his servant Jacob. Alleluia. Shout for joy to God all the earth. Sing the glory of his name. I cried to him with my mouth, and high praise was on my tongue. But truly God has listened. He has attended to the voice of my prayer. Blessed be God, because he has not rejected my prayer or removed his steadfast love from me. Okay, with a voice of singing, declare this with a shout of joy to the end of the earth. That seems to encompass several of the themes that we've already had here uh, during this season of Easter. Uh, We've got singing, we've got shouting for joy, we've got kind of a, a mission flavor and a mission theme because this is going out to the ends of the earth. Pastor, just kind of a general observation on some of these major themes that we've had already during the season of Easter. 
Well, uh, with Easter, definitely there's joy, and and uh, so that's the idea of singing. We've talked about how um, Christ is our good shepherd. We've talked about how um, he has risen from the dead, how he calls, gathers, and enlightens, and sanctifies the entire Christian church. And so this is all related uh, together, the idea that since Christ has been raised from the dead, that all people will... Uh, hear the gospel, at least in one way or another, whether they believe it or not, and then also that uh, we are excited and happy that Christ is raised from the dead and that we have eternal life in him. And so this whole season continues to build as it looks towards the ascension, which is coming up uh, very shortly, I think. Um, and uh, and so that idea when Christ ascends into heaven uh, and sends the Holy Spirit down here to call, gather, enlighten, and sanctify the entire Christian church on earth. Yeah, the uh, ascension of our Lord will be celebrated between the sixth and Sunday, seventh Sunday of Easter, and we don't have a specific proclaiming the one episode for the ascension of our Lord. However, at, on our sister program, At Home in Your Hymnal, on the episode where we talk about the season of Easter, the fourth segment in that, we devoted that entirely to a proclaiming the one type segment on the readings for Ascension Day. So I would just encourage you to check out the archives at our uh, radio website, www.thecross957.org. Pastor Moline is dragging me kicking and screaming out of the dark ages, out of the uh, dinosaur caveman world that I live in, teaching me how to do podcasts. And uh, we have lots of spaces where sermons, the radio programs, Bible studies, bringing Bach back, all these things are available on a very simple podcast kind of formats. So if there's ever anything you can't find on our radio website, sometimes the archives are a little difficult to negotiate. Pastor, where would they go to find this stuff? Well, if you go to the uh, the new KNNA page, you'll see at the bottom of the page it has all of our shows listed. Uh, and we're starting to put some of these shows into podcast format, which means you could click on that uh, picture for the show, and all the episodes, we're working on getting them available to be uh, easily accessed that way, and not just in the individual segments, but we can put the segments together uh, and form them into an entire episode. So, for example, today's program, we'll put it on there, so that there are all four uh, seamlessly woven together into one show uh, instead of having to click and listen to each one individually. And uh, if you're looking for a podcast, you know where to go. What, what, where do you go to find a podcast? Talk to me, yeah. like, talk to me like I don't already know. Well, so uh, Pastor Poppy's sermons, uh, Nebraska Table Talk, Bringing Bach Back, my sermons, and soon these other shows, uh, you can listen to them on Google Podcasts. You can listen to them on Apple Podcasts. Uh, you can listen to them on uh, Stitcher. You can listen to them on Anchor. You can listen to them on CastBox. You can listen to them on a variety of other programs. We're publishing them on all those different places. So whatever podcast programming you use, you should be able to find uh, KNNA The Cross programs there. And if you are uh, looking at me like Vicar is looking at me, and I'm looking at Vicar like, what in the world are you talking about, Pastor Moline? All I can tell you is find somebody that is 
techno savvy like Pastor Moline or ask any 11-year-old child or younger, and they'll be able to tell you everything you need to know and get you up to the 21st century. And it'll be handy because, say, you're going on a trip and you'll be outside of the regular broadcast zone of KNNA and you don't want to use your data uh, up, you can download the episodes at home and then listen to them in your car while you drive. It'll be pretty slick and handy in that regard. Okay, and we'll have more on that later. We need to probably cut some spots uh, for the radio uh, commercial time and uh, explain that to people. But let's get back to God's Word, our introit for the sixth Sunday of Easter. The reason why people are singing and shouting for joy all the way to the end of the earth, Vicar, that second line of the uh, introit, what has the Lord done that causes the shouting for joy and the singing to go to the end of the earth. He has redeemed his servant Jacob. He has set his people free by the blood of the Lamb, that is, Jesus Christ our Lord, who was slain to take away all of our sin and rose again victoriously to proclaim to us that our enemies of sin, death, and the devil have been defeated, and we are now his forever. Pastor, that word uh, redeem or redemption is a uh, power-packed Old Testament word. Can you uh, can you give us a, f- a few thoughts? I know we've talked about this in the past, but uh, refresh our memory about this word redeem and what should come to our mind when we hear that word redemption. Yeah, the word redeemed means that you take something you have and you turn it in to get something from someone else. Uh, the way I always thought about it is... Um, Chuck E. Cheese's here in Lincoln. Uh, You go there and you play the games and you get the little tickets that spit out of the machines. And then at the end of the time at Chuck E. Cheese's, you take all your tickets over to the prize counter and you redeem your tickets. You give them to the guy there. And in return for that, he gives you some little trinket or prize that's really not worth anything, but you think it's pretty cool because you redeemed your tickets to get it. Uh, And that's the idea with redeemed. And the difference being this is much more serious than Chuck E. Cheese's. This is uh, Christ gives his life, he sheds his blood, uh, and he dies so that we might not die. Uh, So we are bought back for God. He purchases and wins us uh, so that we might forever be a part of God's kingdom. And this is uh, explained very well in the small catechism talking about in the creed. Shout for joy to God. Well said, Pastor. Thank you. Shout for joy to God, all the earth. Sing the glory of his name. We have this picture of jubilation and joy. And then the very next line, I cried to him with my mouth, and high praise was on my tongue. Seems to be kind of a downer there. I cried to him with my mouth. How is sorrow, crying, tears connected to the joy that we're talking about in this introit? Vicar, you want to give that a go? Sure. Cried to him with my mouth. There is a certain amount of sorrow and grief that should come into our hearts whenever we hear the saving message of Jesus crucified for us. Why was it that he had to be nailed to the cross? Why was it that he had to bleed and die? It's because of our sin. 
And because we are sorrowful and feel guilty and sorrow for our sins, we cry out to God. We repent of those sins knowing that Jesus has paid for them and God is faithful and just to forgive our sins and cleanse us from all of our unrighteousness. We have a a shift here now in this introit. Truly God has listened. He has attended to the voice of my prayer. We have this whole prayer coming in here. Before it's been jubilation and shouting, and then we got a little bit of crying in here. And now we have God listening and attending to the voice of my prayer. Blessed be to God because he has not rejected my prayer. How can we be sure, Pastor, that when we pray, whether they be prayers of joy, prayers of jubilation, or prayers of heartfelt sorrow, crying out to the Lord in our agony, that our prayers will be accepted and not rejected? Yeah, that's a big topic, isn't it? Um, and I think yeah, you got about forty seconds. Forty seconds. I think the place to start is: uh, is your prayer one that matches with what God's Word says and promises to you? And if that's the case, then God does hear your prayer. He promises to take care of us in this life, to provide us all that we need to support this body and life. He promises to redeem us from sin, death, and the power of the devil. He promises to call us into the faith. And so, if our prayer is asking for one of those things, God hears it and He's answered it in the personal work of Jesus. We also have those sinful prayers that do not find their origin in God's word. Prayers like, dear Lord, let me win the lottery. Uh, dear Lord, uh, please let the uh, uh, the neighbor that I'm angry with fall into a hole and die. Uh, those sorts of things. And when it's not founded on God's word, then God still hears the prayer, but he doesn't necessarily answer it the way you want because his answer will probably be a way to get you to repent of your sinful desires and to trust in him again. And so all prayers God hears and answers, um, it's good to pray for the things God promises. It's not good to pray for the things that your sinful nature wants, and that's probably more than 40 seconds, but yeah, it's quick. The, the well said, and the only way that we can know what prayers are pleasing and acceptable to God are be in the word, be in, be the, in the word, word of God, be which be in the word of God, which teaches us what to pray for. And uh, when we come back from our break, we're going to take a look at our gospel reading for the sixth Sunday of Easter, John sixteen twenty three to thirty. Remember, this is still the season of Easter. We are still basking in the glow of the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It's not just one day. It's a season and a life. We'll be right back. Don't change that dial. You are listening to KNNA. LP 95.7 FM Lincoln, Nebraska. Christ the Lord is risen today. Alleluia, alleluia. It's still the season of Easter. doesn't feel like Easter. doesn't seem like Easter. The, the weather doesn't seem like Easter, but it is. Our celebration of Easter continues. This is Pastor Clint Poppy along with me, Pastor Adam Oline, Vicar Albert Bader. 
We're looking at the readings for the sixth Sunday of Easter here on our Proclaiming the One radio program brought to you by KNNALP 95.7 right here in Lincoln, Nebraska. The gospel reading for the sixth Sunday of Easter, also known as Rogate, Rogate Sunday, and that is one of the words in the Latin language for prayer. The gospel reading is John 16, 23 to 30. Remember, we're talking about the upper room discourse, the uh, unique feature here in the one-year series with regard to these Sundays of Easter. Vicar, are you ready? Take it away. Jesus said, In that day you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now you have asked nothing in my name. Ask, and you will receive, that your joy may be full. I have said these things to you in figures of speech. The hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figures of speech, but will tell you plainly about the Father. In that day you will ask in my name, and I do not say to you that I will ask the Father on your behalf. For the Father himself loves you, because you have loved me, and have believed that I came from God. I came from the Father and have come into the world, and now I am leaving the world and going to the Father. His disciples said, Ah, now you are speaking plainly and not using figurative speech. Now we know that you know all things and do not need anyone to question you. This is why we believe that you came from God. Pastor, i got to be honest with you. Of our... 50-some Sundays that are options in, uh, you know, you have you have uh, uh, more Sundays with the Epiphany season and you have more Sundays with the Trinity season, depending on when Easter falls. And so it's almost 60 Sunday options that you have in the one-year series. i got to be honest with you. This is one of the strangest and hardest Bible passages for me to preach on. And um, I'm bearing my soul here before the whole world. This is a toughie. And so I almost always, when uh, it's my turn to preach on this particular Sunday, I almost always wimp out and preach on the Old Testament reading, which is one of my favorite passages as well. Uh, the, um, the account of the poisonous serpents in the wilderness, Numbers 21. It's a great text, easy to point people to Jesus, and then I can wimp out and I don't have to do the hard work of digging into these words from Jesus in John chapter 16. So you are going to catechize not only all of our listeners, but you're going to catechize me and Vicar on how to understand these words and how to preach and teach these words as well. So this is Rogate Sunday. I brought that up at the beginning on purpose because the general understanding of prayer. I tried to emphasize during our introit uh, section in our uh, first part of this particular program that God guarantees that he will answer our prayers. He may not always give us the answer we want. He teaches us in his word what to for, pray for, but he guarantees that he will answer our prayers through the resurrection of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. That means so much in the life of a Christian, and one of the things it means is that God promises he'll hear and answer our prayers. So, Jesus said, in that day, 
you will ask nothing of me. I've been on a kick here lately, uh, especially as we've been in our uh, Tuesday morning men's Bible study working our way through the book of Zephaniah. Um, There's a lot of on that day, in that day, um, at that time kind of talk. And I think uh, one of the things that maybe I haven't done as well as I could have or should have in the past is make clear what day, what time we are talking about. Now, Pastor, I know you're, uh, you're looking at John 16 right now to uh, get the context of this particular text from Jesus. Jesus said, in that day, you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, Whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. So I'm confused right off the bat. We're not supposed to talk to, we're not supposed to pray to Jesus, you will ask nothing of me, but then you are to ask the Father in my name, and he will give it to you. It seems to be a major contradiction right off the bat in that first verse. Can you help sort that out for our hearers? Yeah, we have to. I mean, we do have to look at it in the context, and this is a part of the um, uh, farewell discourse of Saint John's Gospel, uh, and it comes right after the part that we had uh, a couple of weeks ago for Jubilate Sunday, which is a little while and you'll see me, and a little while again, uh, you, a little while and you'll see me no longer, and then a little while and you'll see me again. Uh, I have to break in right there. If uh, if you weren't in church or weren't listening on that particular Sunday, which was the fourth Sunday of Easter. Uh, go to Pastor Moline's uh, blog. Um, is it blog? Not blog. Podcast, podcast site, or go to our KNNA site. He preached an outstanding sermon on that text with regard to that phrase that Jesus teaches us: "A little while, a little while." So go check that out if you haven't done so already. And uh, thanks be to God for that uh, that wonderful message. Okay. Now I can go back to you. Yeah, phone. so Jesus is talking then about, first off, uh, the crucifixion and the resurrection. A little while, and you won't see me because I'll be arrested and crucified and laid in a tomb, and then a little while, and you'll see me again. And uh, so this discussion there is had uh, with the disciples. And then uh, it also has implications for the life of the church, that right now uh, we don't necessarily see the person of Jesus walking around among us, but we know that in a little while, when the end of the world comes, we will. And so then we have this phrase that comes immediately after that particular text from John 16 that says, in that day, you will ask nothing of me. And so your question is, what is that day? And so we have both of those meanings. We have this idea that this is uh, once Christ has been raised from the dead and ascended into heaven, the life of the church exists, that's the day, and it has its fulfillment then uh, in the day when Christ returns and brings this world to its end and takes us to uh, live with him in his kingdom, world without end. Uh, Amen. And so the day has that eschatological or end times feel to it. It's talking about now the time of the church, and it's talking about the last day. And when it says we don't ask anything of Jesus, uh, that's because Christ has already given us everything, and our prayer then is now directed to God the Father, uh, and that's the way we do a lot of our prayers, our Father who art in heaven, uh, Heavenly Father, we ask you to do these things, and we always end our prayer that way as well, uh, through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. So Christ here is teaching us how to pray. 
We ask our Heavenly Father, as dear children ask uh, their dear Father, and we ask him for the things that he promises to give, and we ask for the sake of Jesus, who bled and died and rose again to to grant us all the things of heaven. Uh, And so that's our prayer is modeled after these words of Christ that he's teaching us here in John 16. Okay, very good. And then right after that, it says, Until now you have asked nothing in my name. So here's what I want to say, and I want you to I want you to help me out if I'm looking at this wrong, or if uh, if I'm partially correct, or or whatever. Until now, you've asked nothing in my name. Jesus is in a sense saying, until now, you did not understand who I am and why I came here. You just thought I was another great teacher or another great prophet in a long list and a long line of teachers and prophets. I am God in the flesh. I am coming here to suffer and die and rise again. You couldn't ask anything of my name because you didn't understand who I was and why I came. In a little while, after I go and show you what I do through my death and resurrection, then you can ask me in my name. But until now, you haven't been able to do that. Am I am I close? Am I barking up the wrong tree? Help me out here, Pastor. No, I think you're right. There's definitely, for the disciples, the question about who is Jesus. And even in John chapter 1, we see uh, uh, Andrew and uh, uh, some of the other disciples, and they even ask each other, uh, could this be the Messiah? Could this be the Christ? And so they think, well, he might be, but they don't understand what the Christ is or what the Messiah's job is. And, and even earlier in John chapter 1, in the prologue, mm-hmm. he came to his own, and his, his own, own did, did, not not re- did not know him, did not receive him. And yep. so we, we, you know, in the Gospel of John, we've got this major identity thing going on all the time. And, and it's not that we don't when we're reading the gospel that we don't know, it's that the disciples living in their lives and meeting Jesus and talking with him, they might have an inkling of who he is, but they don't understand fully until they see him uh, crucified and raised from the dead. That's when the the light bulb kind of comes on and they understand that Christ is who he says he is. And the, the nice thing is, you're, you're right, um, You've asked and you, um, you have not asked anything in my name because you didn't really understand who I was. We get to the end of this particular gospel lesson, and Jesus says, I came from the Father into the world, and now I'm leaving the world to go to the Father. In other words, my source was God, and that's where I'm going back, is to God. I'm the Messiah, is essentially what he's saying there. I am the Christ. And now they say, ah, we get it. You're speaking plainly. You're not using figurative speech. You uh, have told us clearly who you are. Now we understand, and now they can uh, ask God in the name of Jesus, because they comprehend. Okay. Uh, well, they don't really comprehend, but no. they're a lot closer to comprehending <laughs> now uh, than they than they ever have been during this uh, during this three year journey. Uh, in the uh, time that we have left in this segment, then Jesus says, um, "Ask and you will receive, that your joy may be full." So, does this mean, Pastor, that if you know and understand and believe who Jesus is and what He has done? Uh, God God is like a a big uh, uh, slot machine that uh, you put in the right coins or you put in the right prayers and uh, out dispenses everything that you want. 
Um, no, that means it, it, absolutely not. That's not what it's talking about at all. Well, there are some that would teach that. There are some who teach that, and the very fact that they say that shows that they don't understand prayer. Prayer is the voice of faith, faith that trusts God for who he is, wants to receive the things God promises to give, and the things that God doesn't promise to give aren't that important because this world is only temporary, and the world that's to come is the world that lasts forever. And so in faith, um, in proper faith, I should say, I don't want to uh, uh, be, be judgmental in that regard, in proper faith, one doesn't care about winning the lottery or not because um, riches and wealth will not matter when the end comes. Sure, would it be handy if you accidentally did? Yeah, great. But it's not going to matter for your eternal salvation. Uh, Faith prays for the things that God promises because faith wants to receive the things God promises. And so when prayer is the voice of faith and we ask things of God in the right way, we get the things we ask for. Um, Those things we ask for are faith, forgiveness, life, and salvation. And those are the things God is eager to give to his people. Might also be one of the reasons why uh, Jesus teaches us to pray, not my will, but thy will be done. We need to take a short break. This is Proclaiming the One. We're looking at the readings for the sixth Sunday of Easter. When we come back, we'll continue looking at the gospel reading, John 16, 23 to 30. Remember, Jesus Christ is risen today. Alleluia. You are listening to KNNALP 95.7 FM, Lincoln, Nebraska. Welcome back to Proclaiming the One. Pastor Poppy, Pastor Moline, Vicar Bader. We're privileged to serve at Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Lincoln, Nebraska, 3825 Wildbriar Lane, just north of 40th and Old Cheney. Come join us on Sunday mornings, 8 and 1030 for divine service, Sunday school for all ages in between. We worship year-round, and this is something uh, very important to remember during the summer months. We worship year-round on Wednesday evenings at 6.30. You're always welcome here at Good Shepherd. Any worship service that we have, we do our best to broadcast live on 95.7. Check out our archives, uh, all those kind of things, www.thecross957.org. We're looking at the readings for the sixth Sunday. Sunday of Easter. We have parked the car on this uh, challenging, wonderful, but challenging gospel reading, John 16, 23 to 30. Vicar, I know I had you read this before, but I would like for you to read verses 25 and 26, please, of John 16. I have said these things to you in figures of speech. The hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figures of speech, but will tell you plainly about the Father. In that day you will ask in my name. I do not say to you that I will ask the Father on your behalf. Uh, Read one more verse, I'm sorry. Verse 27. For the Father himself loves you, because you have loved me, and have believed that I came from God. Okay, so we could run uh, a series of programs 
hours long, week after week, with regard to the topic of figures of speech in the Bible. Do we take the Bible literally? Is the Bible written in figurative language? How do we know the difference? Um, we can just go on and on and on. People hide behind the uh, the topic of, well, that's not literal, that's figural. Oh, oh you, you know, a lot of games are played with Scripture. Jesus uses these words right here, and he's not playing games. He's teaching us. But the question is, what is he teaching us? In uh, verse 25, I have said these things to you, in figures of speech. When we think back over the first 15 chapters of the Gospel of John, Jesus has used many figures of speech, signs, metaphors, similes. Remember the Gospel of John, Jesus says, I am the vine, and you are the branches. I am the door for the sheep. I am the co- the photos of the cosmos. I'm the light of the world. I am the bread of life. Uh, I am the good shepherd. You, say, you call me teacher and Lord, and that is what I am. Before Abraham was, I am. There are lots and lots and lots of figures of speech in the first 15 chapters of the Gospel of John. So when Jesus says, I have said these things to you in figures of speech, he's not lying, is he? No, he's not. Um, and now... As so long as you interpret correctly, that, that's not an excuse to not believe the things that he's saying. Okay, so that's the that's where I want to go. How, how are all of these figures of speech that Jesus has been using, especially but not limited to the I am statements, how are all of these figures of speech coming to a head in this teaching of Jesus talking about, before I talked in figures of speech, now I'm going to speak plainly. And what does this have to do with his identity? Well, I think even Jesus is being more close. He's talking as far as his own speech on the night he's betrayed. He's not going back and saying that the things I said before are just figures of speech and you can interpret them away. He's talking about uh, a little while and you'll see me and a little while and you won't see me uh, and that whole discussion there. The figures of speech before... uh, is, you know, for example, Jesus says, I am the sheep gate, right? Um, does he mean I am a literal gate that's, uh, you know, between a stone fence? No. I mean, and anybody can tell you that's not exactly what he means. But what is he, di- what is he teaching? There's only one way in, and that's me. That's what he's teaching, and that's the truth. Now, here he's talking about, I've, I've been telling you these things about when I'm going to go and I'm going to send the Holy Spirit, all these things. I'm speaking in parables and figures of speech, just as in the other Gospels, so that seeing they might not see and hearing they might not hear, quoting Isaiah there. Uh, Jesus is using figures of speech for the sake of teaching uh, and yet allowing the disciples to come to the fullness of knowledge when they see him resurrected, and he brings this teaching to a close and to its head. Uh, and so it's not that 
these are figures of speech. We can just eliminate them. He is he's teaching in a particular way for a particular purpose, so that people can come to faith and wrap their mind around the whole reality of who he is. Uh, it's not like he could just show up and say, "Hey, I'm God. I'm going to die for you," and the disciples would get it right away. It, it takes patience, teaching over patient teaching over many many years and and uh, hours for that faith to be fully understood. I think one of the problems we have is when we hear that term, figure of speech, oh, Jesus is speaking figuratively here, not literally. Oh, this is, uh, Jesus is talking about a figure of speech, that somehow we translate that into, the, into thinking that, oh, if Jesus is speaking in a figure of speech, that means it's not true. And that's not the case at all. And that's not the case at all. Jesus uses figures of speech to communicate his truth. And I don't want to say it that way because that makes it sound like you have your truth and I have my truth. Jesus, who says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, uses figures of speech to communicate the once and for all truth of the gospel. Let me give you an example um, of a figure of speech. And, Vicar, uh, this is one we've talked about here just recently during this season of Easter. I'm going to give you an example of this figure of speech, and I want you to take this uh, figure of speech and communicate the literal truth to me. Are you ready? I think so. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. That is a figure of speech. And it also communicates the truth. How is that a figure of speech? And how is that communicating the life-giving, life-changing salvation that comes only from Jesus Christ? The figure of speech is portraying Jesus as a good shepherd, making us, his people, his sheep. Uh, and Jesus, being the good shepherd, is willing to lay down his life for us. Yes, he says that in a figure of speech, but he means it literally. On Good Friday, he is literally going to lay down his life by bleeding and dying on the cross so that on Easter Sunday, he might take it up again and give that life to us through the forgiveness of our sins. In that day, well done, Vicar. In that day, you will ask in my name, and I do not say to you that I will ask the Father on your behalf. Pastor, here's another one of those things that throws me completely for a loop. Uh, I learned and I continue to teach to this day in catechism class that Jesus, as a part of his threefold office of prophet, priest, and king, continues in his priestly role to sit at the right hand of the Father and intercess on my behalf. This makes it sound, in verse 26, in that day you will ask in my name, and I do not say to you that I will ask the Father on your behalf. Well, this makes it seem to me that he's not my intercessor. Help me to make sense of this, because Jesus cannot speak in a lie. Uh, the scriptures do not contradict themselves. So how, to, how do we make sense of these things that seem to be contradicting each other? Jesus uh, understands the Trinity better than we do. And what he's, what he's teaching us is that uh, he is a part of the Trinitarian God. It's not that he's some lower um, entity that we have to talk to to get to the big guy. It's not like he's the guy who stands at the door 
and we say, okay, I need to talk to the big guy. Can you tell him this for me? Jesus um, is, is putting himself at the same level of God as not, and not as just a doorway to get to God. And, and we see this sometimes with people who, I, I think sometimes even with the idea of uh, my loved one died, and so when I stand at their grave, I say, will you ask God this for me? That's not the way that it works. We can go directly to God. Um, we can go directly to God and ask him the things he promises and trust that he'll give them to us. We don't have to go through an intermediary. And so when we ask Jesus or when we ask God the Father, we ask directly, not through an intermediary. And I think that's what Jesus is saying. He's, so, he's, he's really saying, I'm not just a, the intermediary. We can go directly to God. So in addition to this Trinitarian instruction, and I love that because he's unfolding this mystery that we can never grasp. But in addition to that, is he also teaching us about his identity as the once and for all priest who makes high uh, who makes payment on our behalf, the temple curtain torn in two from top to bottom. And so now no longer do I need uh, a human priest to make intercession for me. I can go directly to the Father. Is this what we're talking about That's here? That's exactly the idea. And it's not to say also that that other passage is not true, where Jesus makes intercession for us. He always is there at God's right hand, God the Father's right hand, saying, these people are forgiven because my blood covers them in baptism. Uh, these are both true at the same time, and, and at the same time, we uphold them as true. We don't have to just have one and not the other. Don't you think this is also one of the reasons why Jesus teaches us to pray, Our Father. He allows us to go directly to the Father in prayer. And also, I think it's beautiful, uh, you talked about the Trinity, and that's exactly right. Jesus is God. He's also God in the flesh. He gives us the ability to call God Father because he, as a human, has taken all of our sin away from us by bleeding and dying and rising again and has all made us co-heirs, brothers and sisters, with him. So that's another reason why we get the opportunity to pray directly to God the Father. Okay, we're about out of time in this segment, and uh, I still have lots of questions yet on John chapter 16, verses 23 to 30 that are before us. And I want to give just a little bit of a teaser before we take the break. Most people, when they think of the Gospel of John, the most famous passage is John three sixteen: for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have life everlasting. God's gift of Jesus, God's gift of love. Following up on everything that we've talked about here with this Trinitarian direct access talk in verse 27, for the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. So God loves me because I love him? That can't be what that says. That's clearly contrary to every other word and thought of Scripture. So when we come back from our break, we want to have our uh, biblical experts here exegete and explain this uh, challenging and yet beautiful passage of scripture for us this is proclaiming the one we're looking at the readings for the sixth sunday of easter don't change that dial we'll be right back 
You are listening to KNNALP 95.7 FM, Lincoln, Nebraska. Welcome back to Proclaiming the One, Pastor Poppy, Pastor Moline, Vicar Bader. We're looking at the sixth Sunday of Easter, the readings, and then we have the privilege to do this every week. We take a look at the upcoming lessons to help us prepare, not only in our preaching and teaching, but to help all of our listeners prepare so that as they come into God's house on this particular Sunday, they uh, they know what is coming. They've had an opportunity to reflect, to meditate, to pray, and to get the most out of the hymns, the preaching, the teaching, the liturgy on each day that they are in God's house. In segment one, we looked at the reading uh, of the introit, a portion of Psalm 66 and an antiphon from Isaiah 48. In segments two and three, we looked at our gospel reading from John 16, 23 to 30. And in this last segment, segment four, we're going to uh, at least continue our discussion of the gospel reading. I don't know if we'll finish here, but uh, we've just got more and more and more and more to talk about this fun, interesting part of Jesus' upper room discourse. These words here from John 16, 23 to 30 follow uh, our gospel reading from a couple of weeks ago. In a little while, you will see me, and then in a little while, you will uh, you will not see me, then you'll see me no more. Uh, and in that day, uh, you will pray. And we've got a lot of prayer talk here. We've got a lot of, um, you know, is Jesus my intercessor? Is he not my intercessor? Speaking in figures of speech, we've, uh, we've spent a lot of time talking about that. And I left a little bit of a teaser with regard to that follow-up with Jesus uh, granting us direct access through his perfect life, obedient death, and glorious resurrection. The temple curtain has been torn in two. I don't need an intermediary. I don't need a a priest or some sacerdotal intervention to get me uh, up to God. Uh, Jesus has provided that access for me, and that access is free and open. And then in verse 27, for the Father himself loves you, and I'm reading out of the ESV, because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. Pastor, a a quick, almost superficial reading of that text almost makes it sound like Jesus is saying that he loves us because or only because we loved him first. Yeah, help that, me help me out here and help us understand this text properly. That's the way we always want to take it when we hear things like this, especially as Western thinkers. We can't uh, deny, though, the facts earlier in the gospel that Jesus says things like, for God so loved the whole world uh, that he gave his only son. And in fact, uh, the word there isn't necessarily always causal. Um, it is a, a just a, a reality, a statement of fact that 
Um, you know, so uh, the Father Himself loves you, uh, and we have that word "hati" in the Greek because or that or things like that. It just means there's a new clause starting, and we have there also these words are in the perfect tense. Uh, you have loved me with a past action and present abiding results, and have believed me past action present abiding results. He's stating a fact: you guys love me, you guys are in the faith, and. How did that happen for these particular gentlemen? By the power of the Holy Spirit working through God's Word. That's right. Jesus said, uh, follow me, and they did. And so by speaking the Word, they are in the faith. And uh, that's how that past action with present abiding results, love and faith came about, is through the Word of Jesus. And so we can't we can't, you know, try and make these things backwards from what the rest of the gospel takes and teaches. Uh, we have to use them in context and uh, use the more clear passages to interpret the more difficult passages, and that's what we do here as well. It is uh, it is interesting that you say that uh, the word there, that hotik, uh sometimes when we translate things, we just kind of take the easy way out as well. And uh, the translation here in the ESV is unfortunate. That word because uh, certainly does have causal connotations to it. It can, yes. And uh, in in English language. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, because Scott Frost is the coach, now I love the Huskers. Well, you didn't love the Huskers before? Uh, Yeah, you know, see, so... We even play those kind of games with uh, with our silly football talk, and we have to be clear here. Um, there there are certain rules to biblical interpretation, and Scripture cannot contradict Scripture. Scripture interprets Scripture, and in the epistles of John, it could not be more clear um, that we do not love God first. It's the other way around. In this is love, First John chapter 4. Not that we love God, but that God loved us and gave, him son, gave his son as the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And so we can't interpret things here in ways that are clearly contradicted in other parts of Scripture. Uh, scripture has to interpret Scripture. And your, your explanation for that, uh, that love... Uh, passage and uh, what comes first with regard to faith and all these things is uh, is wonderful. Now, want to get to the clincher here in this gospel reading, John sixteen twenty three to thirty. This is all about the identity of Jesus. You can't really expect anything out of Jesus or even pray to him if you don't know who he really is. And this is a part of, you know, why Jesus is speaking in figurative language. He is unpacking um, for our simple brains to understand that he is God in the flesh, come to lay down his life and pick it up again three days later for the life of the world. He's teaching here um, almost if you're teaching a preschooler you're teaching different than if you're teaching somebody who is a college-educated adult. You use different, you use different hand gestures, you use different vocabulary, you use different examples. And here in this upper room discourse, it's almost as if Jesus says, okay, preschoolers, listen carefully. I'm going to explain to you what's about to happen. 
And how are preschoolers with their attention span and their ability to understand? Well, limited. I think that's a fairly good picture of what's going on right here. In verse 26, Jesus says, I came from the Father and have come into the world, and now I am leaving the world and going to the Father. Vicar, what is Jesus plainly teaching our preschool disciples right here? He is plainly teaching that I am God, the eternal God who has come down from heaven, born into the flesh. I have lived here in this world, and I am leaving the world. I am going to die to pay for your sins, rise again from the grave, and then go back into heaven from whence I came. I uh, I love the response of the disciples here in uh, verses uh, 29 and 30. It's kind of like you tell somebody a joke, and they don't get it. And then you explain to them the punchline of the joke, and they go, oh, yeah, now I get it, but they still don't get it. <laughs> okay, yeah, you know what I'm talking about. So in verse 29, his disciples said, ah, now you are speaking plainly and not using figurative speech. Now we know uh, that you know all things and do not need anyone to question you. This is why we believe that you came from God. How are they explaining and answering all at the same time this identity of Jesus, even though their answer may not be 100% understood in their own minds and hearts? Pastor? Yeah, they they say the right things here, uh, and maybe they even think they understand correctly, but until... Christ is nailed to the cross, laid in the tomb, and then alive and, and saying, here, put your finger in this nail hole and see that I really am alive and, uh, uh, you know, watch me appear in this locked room um, with no scientifically verifiable way of that taking place. Um, until that happens, they aren't going to really get it no matter what they say. And it's interesting, too, because it does mirror the conversation that Pilate and Jesus have later on when Pilate says, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus says, well, my kingdom's not of this world. My kingdom is in uh, a different world. And and um, Pilate, and he had that conversation, and he says, you know, I came for this purpose, to bear witness about the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice, and Pilate himself doesn't get it and says, well, what's the truth, Right. And that's the reality with Jesus. Until you get the whole enchilada, you really don't have an enchilada. The work and person of Jesus, we talk about this a lot, and and those two go together. The, The person and work of Jesus are a complete unit. And there are many times in Scripture, in Bible study, in church discussions, or even in a particular sermon, you might look at one particular aspect of the person and the work of Jesus Christ. But uh, Pastor Moline has said it wonderfully here that a partial Jesus is not the Jesus we want or we need. A partial Jesus does not save and I believe it was Dr. Norman Nagel uh, from the St. Louis Seminary that uh, used to say the phrase, our Lord and Savior Jesus does not do fractions. 
he does not do fractions. And that, that meaning by that statement is he doesn't give you a little bit of the gospel. He doesn't uh, uh, work in partialities. Where Jesus is, Jesus is complete, true God and true man. Where the gospel is, the gospel is complete for you once and for all, for all people, for all time, and for all sin. And we need to understand that unless we understand the complete Jesus, we're thinking in fractions. And God doesn't do that kind of talk. To have the kind of confidence that we need to go to God in prayer, to lift up our cries and our petitions to God, fully knowing that God will hear and answer our prayers, that confidence is a byproduct of knowing who Jesus is. And this is, I think, something, I know we don't have time to talk about this, this is the problem with Facebook and Twitter Jesus. Uh, A little catchphrase or a meme or whatever uh, that's about Christ can't encapsulate and understand the fullness of Christ, which is why it's so important for you to be regularly in God's house in a, in a church that actually teaches and believes the entirety of God's word so that you can uh, start to understand what the whole enchilada looks like and wrap your mind around that. Yes, and before there was Facebook and Twitter, there were letters to the editor where people would try to do the same thing in a little short period of time. It can't be done. It can't be done. My sheep hear my voice, and they follow me. That's what our good shepherd says, and that's what we need to do. Uh, Again, to be in God's house, to hear God's word, to receive God's gifts, this is what will inform and form our prayers to the crucified and resurrected Jesus Christ. Vicar, uh, bring this to a close and uh, pray for us the collect of the day, would you please? Let us pray. O God, the giver of all that is good, by your holy inspiration grant that we may think those things that are right, and by your merciful guiding accomplish them. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. 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 For Pastor Moline and Vicar Bader, this is Pastor Clint Poppy. Thanks for tuning in to Proclaiming the One. Sunday morning, get up, reach paper, drink your coffee, pray for your pastor, go to church. God's richest blessings in Christ. Remember, Christ the Lord is risen today. Hallelujah.